In 2018, the Wealth Standard Podcast broke down the year into three seasons, each focusing on a principle from the inspired works of philosopher John Locke, specifically his philosophy on life, liberty, and property. In 2019, we progressed from principle to the ideal environment for building wealth and achieving prosperity. The theme was laissez-faire capitalism. For season two, it continues. The theme is entrepreneurship and intrapreneurship and how you apply the principles and environment to the individual. The guests ranging from economists to entrepreneurs to political influencers, authors, and more will teach you how to take your life to the next level. Now, on to the next episode. Hey everyone, Patrick here. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Wealth Standard Podcast. We are still on our season themed around the idea of the entrepreneur. And my guest today is Ron Khoury, and he has just released a new book called Tenacity, and the subtitle is A Vegas Businessman Survives Brooklyn, the Marines, Corruption, and Cancer to Achieve the American Dream, a true life story. Now, Ron is a former casino dealer and realtor, as well as a partner in several restaurants and gaming bars and other ventures in the Las Vegas area. It really was a fascinating story. And just a testament to, I think, this idea of tenacity and how important that is to weathering the storm that entrepreneurism typically brings. So I hope you guys enjoyed the interview. Now to my new friend, Ron Curry. All right, Ron, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I'm really excited for the interview. Well, thank you, Patrick. It's great to be with you today. So, Ron, you've had quite the history. Why don't you give the listeners just a Reader's Digest version of it, and then I can kind of interject with some questions. Absolutely. Well, back in 1972, I was a teenager back in Brooklyn, New York. I found that college wasn't suited to what interested me after three semesters. So I joined the Marine Corps. And after a couple of years of active duty service, I found myself at my last duty station in Barstow, California, which was a two hour ride from Las Vegas. Uh, A buddy of mine that I met in boot camp and I ended up being stationed together. And we traveled to Vegas on our days off every weekend and enjoyed the town quite a bit. So when we got released from active duty, we moved here and went to work. As a result of working a couple of years and wanting to get into business for ourselves, it took a couple of years to save some money and get some experience about living in Las Vegas. And we purchased our first tavern. There was no real roadmap of what we intended to do with our lives, except that we wanted to do more than just punch a clock for 40 years. So what started with one tavern ultimately grew to over a dozen businesses. Growing up on the East Coast, were you, you know, pre-Marines, were you entrepreneurial? Were you, because I would say a common characteristic is seeing that school is not right for you, right? So were you want to kind of march to the beat of your own drum? But were you entrepreneurial or some of that happened during the Marines? Well, as you know, I just released a book named Tenacity where I describe my life story. And in that book, I do talk about a Christmas gift I got one day from my dad, which included a wooden shoeshine box. I was a kid, I was going to a parochial school, and there was a uniform with the white shirt, tie, and black shoes, and the shoes were expected to be shined every day. So my dad got me a shoeshine box, 
And while I wasn't thinking I was an entrepreneur at age 12, I thought the shoeshine box might pose an opportunity to earn some money. And on the corner of the street I lived was a subway station that took local businessmen to the Wall Street train stop every morning. So I'd get up early before school, go down to the train stop and offer a shoeshine for 10 cents, which in the late 1960s was not a little bit of money. And if I could knock out 10 shines before school started, I felt a bit of the entrepreneurial spirit, earning money, coming up with an idea from nothing and going home with money at the end of it. So it sort of started there. And then the group of friends I was with as teenagers started a band. I was not musically inclined and not wanting to be left out. I suggested that I could be the band manager while each of them played instruments. As the band manager, it was my job to find paying gigs and the entrepreneurial spirit kicked in again. And I actually identified a church hall that I was an altar boy for years earlier. The Monsignor let me use the church hall for nothing. I learned a great new word called consignment. A friend in Brooklyn who had a beverage company let me use all the beer and soda I could put in my car and just pay for what we ended up selling at the event. Things were a lot looser back in the late 1960s, where one today would wonder, how did a teenager sell beer? It just, <laughs> it just happened. PD said, yeah, Ron, load up whatever you want and come back and pay me for whatever you sell and bring back what you don't sell. And there we were selling beers and sodas, making one or two bucks on each one for something that cost us 10 cents to buy and charging admission at the door. And we just had a great night running our own venue. And shortly after that, I joined the Marine Corps and the entrepreneurial spirit got turned off for a while until I moved to Vegas and was a civilian again. So talk to, because it sounds interesting, you know, there's probably a story to why you chose the Marine. Well, first off, why you enlisted and then chose the branch of the Marines as opposed to, you know, the other branches of the military. So maybe spend a moment on that. Oh, sure. Well, another thing that your listeners might not be familiar with is the draft. Back in the 60s, there was a lottery every year, and each birthday would be assigned a number. The lower your number, the more likely you'd be drafted. And at the time, there was an ongoing war in Vietnam. So if you had a low number in the draft, you would likely be drafted if you didn't have a student deferment, and you were likely to go to Vietnam. Well, when I quit college, I received a draft notice within days. For all the inefficiencies of government, the selective service system was on the ball. <laughs> well, with, with so many guys in my neighborhood going to Vietnam and coming back without arms, legs, and deceased, I wanted to optimize my chance of coming back whole and coming back at all. So rather than being drafted in whatever arbitrary assignment the draft board would, would render, I went and interviewed with recruiters from each of the branches. I learned about Marine Corps training. I learned that it was harder than most but it trained you better for war. And I thought by going through that, I could optimize my chances at success. So I enlisted in the Marine Corps. It negated the draft notice and reported for duty in March of 1972. And upon graduation from boot camp and advanced infantry training the summer of 72, my buddy and I had orders for Vietnam, as did everyone in our battalion in boot camp. But at that time, President Nixon announced de-escalation, which meant no one else would go over to Vietnam and so many thousands of troops per month would be withdrawn. So we ended up trained for war, but 
without a war to go to. And we ended up being assigned to a supply center in the middle of the desert in Barstow, California. <laughs> so that's how the Marine Corps thing happened and how I ended up in Las Vegas. So out of that story, I find it interesting where it seems like you maybe use some foresight to look at a certain outcome, this one being you saw guys coming home without arms, legs, or not making it home at all, and you made a decision as to how you would mitigate that risk, which of course nobody wants as a result of their service. Did you notice that foresight previous to this and in some of the things you did, whether it was the shoe shine thing or otherwise, and then maybe carry forward that to the foresight that you use in going to Las Vegas? I believe that my parents raising me as they did instilled in me a level of perseverance and determination to chart your own destiny. And whether it was taking an insignificant Christmas gift like a wooden shoe shine box down to earn money or not want to be left out of the band concept but finding my own place by suggesting I be the band's manager. I think it was just something that developed naturally for me and it carried me through life where I came to Las Vegas and I became a casino dealer. As I worked on the tables every night at the Tropicana Hotel, I envisioned getting into business for myself someday for quite a unique reason, to be honest with you, Pat. My dad's three brothers died from cancer. My dad had survived colon cancer but I was mindful that with the strong family history, it was not likely that I would dodge the cancer bullet. It was more a question of when it would come. Mm -hmm. Now, I moved to Vegas, got married, planned to have children, and I was standing on a table, I remember, at the Tropicana one day at a blackjack table with no customers, and I was thinking, what would I do if I got cancer one day and was unable to support my family? How does someone earn money when they cannot report to work every day? In fact, how would you even make a, a house payment and a car payment when you were earning nothing? And I felt like getting into a business where if I could grow it and put in a good management team, I would generate an income whether I could physically go to work or not for as much as a year's time. And I became a bit driven to find a business that I could get into realizing I didn't really have much of an education. I didn't have the degrees to become a lawyer, doctor, architect. I just had a willingness to work and a refusal to accept failure as an option. It's curious. So with your experience in the Marines, you said your entrepreneurial spirit was suppressed there for a few years, but did you gain anything, whether it was the discipline factor or working in teams or camaraderie that allowed really those thoughts in regards to, okay, building a business and specifically the term you use, building a team? Well, I believe it instills in you a level of determination that you will come up with an idea and whether you have to go through a barrier or around it, not let failure prevail. And as a result, if I set my heart on something, I wasn't willing to take no for an answer very easily. And there are multiple instances of such things in the book that I wrote that describes that in greater detail. But to find the right business for someone without a formal education was the challenge. One of the things I did as a dealer at night was I decided to become a realtor by day. Las mm -hmm. Vegas was a very small town back then, but I saw great growth potential. So I could sell real estate during the day. I can pick my hours. I could work the casino job at night. And as a result of being a realtor for four years, an opportunity developed 
which was a tavern. And as I contemplated it, I thought, you know, I can hire people that know how to bartend. What a tavern would need is a strong hand, which in answer to your question, the Marine Corps built in me a level of comfort that I was not only in great physical shape, but I could handle myself. And back then, it, it was not like the taverns of today. People are very conscious about drinking and driving. Most people have two or three drinks at the most and call it a night. Back in the 70s, guys would pound down drinks all day long. <laughs> and you had quite a few more drunks than you do in a bar today. And a strong hand to run a tight ship was necessary. And I felt like I had the training to do it. So you just need to go into business and make some good choices with managing books, ordering product before you run out, kind of the simple things, but it was a plate full of duties that I had to manage. And getting into that first tavern and later building a kitchen and learning the restaurant business on the go was quite interesting and turned out to be quite lucrative for us, especially when the unique things about Las Vegas-based taverns is you can engage in gaming whereas taverns in other cities, including Atlantic City, cannot. And when you bought a bar and you had a couple of slot machines in the corner, they weren't a great source of revenue. But when interactive gaming became a reality in the 1980s with the invention of video poker, taverns became less a means of generating revenue by selling drinks and chicken wings and hamburgers, but like more a gaming property. And marketing your property to bring in players, keep them happy with free drinks, good food, and comping them and just keep those $100 bills going into your machines became the way of business. And we ultimately parlayed that first location into a total of four. So what, as you look back, is during, I would say during that period of time, 70s, 80s, 90s, early, early 2000s, and the success that you experienced, that's an environment that changed drastically over that period of time. Las Vegas is what I'm referring to. What would you say were some of the biggest challenges that you faced in building the empire that you built? One of the big challenges which the book is actually centered around is as Las Vegas grew with gaming, they began to limit the amount of growth that a tavern could engage in, hmm. pretty much limiting taverns to 15 slots and requiring that you be a hotel before you can engage in unlimited gaming. Hmm. Well, there are outlying jurisdictions to Las Vegas with outlying cities. And much like you would go from a neighborhood in New York from one neighborhood into another, you would cross a street in Las Vegas and you would be in one of these other cities. It wasn't a, a great trek. But these outlying cities had their own city councils, their own police departments, and offered more gaming growth because they did not enjoy the building boom that was going on in Vegas. Hmm. So the challenge I encountered was as I wanted to grow in gaming, we purchased a piece of property in one of these outlying cities that did not have a room requirement. We were zoned for non-restricted gaming and purchased a half acre of land on a main thoroughfare, believing it would be a no-brainer to get the necessary use permits because it was properly zoned. Unbeknownst to me at the time, there was a councilman who was a competitor in one of my other businesses, non-gaming business. He intended to be a competitor in the food and beverage and gaming business, didn't disclose any of it, and was a staunch critic of our licensing after we already bought the property and started building the casino. <laughs> and used his small town police department to frame me in multiple felony charges. And it was the training that I received in the Marine Corps that enabled me to overcome those challenges in some very creative and unique ways. Because as you could imagine, fighting a city 
that's hitting a fight against you with tax dollars when you're just a small businessman, it wasn't easy. And to overcome the charges that they framed me with and the, the levels they would stoop to, to try to do away with me as a competitor to this councilman in the private world of business is the centerpiece of the book Tenacity. And I don't want to give up how it turned out because it makes for a great story with death threats that I encountered and what I did about it and how I confronted this councilman one day face to face. But it was that level of diligence and determination and perseverance that enabled me to ultimately overcome those challenges and build and operate that neighborhood casino. You know, obviously with, you know, with being in the Marines where you're being prepared for war and what's on the line is life itself, both of, you know, your own life and then the life of, you know, those you're serving with, you know, looking at your, the discovery process there, I, I know that it's profound. I have not served in, in the military. I'm around many who have. At the same time, I look at what you experience there as far as an understanding of yourself and what you can handle and what you can, you know, persevere through. Moreover, as it related to this specific experience, what did you learn about yourself that was different from some of the other experiences you had leading up to that? Well, I learned that as you try to grow, what is inescapable is adversity. You are going to encounter obstacles if you're trying to do big things. And in the building of nearly 20 businesses, there were certainly some obstacles, particularly in addition to developing that neighborhood casino. I started a limousine service and found that breaking into the transportation business in <laughs> Southern Nevada also came with some very interesting challenges. Well, if adversity is inescapable, then what defines you is how you deal with that adversity. And to fight back and not break the law yourself is very challenging because when your opponents are willing to stoop to anything to do away with you as a competitor, to overcome that and prevail and maintain your level of dignity, ethics, and honor was a challenge that I truly attribute service in the Marine Corps to helping me prevail in those challenges. That's awesome. Well, maybe as a final, final question, this really goes and relates to your experience and what you could potentially teach other you know, budding entrepreneurs or existing entrepreneurs or business owners, right, is what top couple of things would you counsel your 21-year-old self, maybe your post-Marine, like right as you're moving to Vegas self, that may have helped you navigate waters differently? Well, I'm pretty happy the way I navigated the waters. So I wouldn't say I would suggest doing something differently. But what I would say is I could not have accomplished what I was fortunate enough to prevail in, if not for developing mind, body, and soul. Mind, you cannot let adversity overcome you. You need to just think about the challenge in front of you and determine a strategy to overcome it. Body, if you stay in peak shape, not knowing what's to come, and it wasn't just you know running a clean and safe feeling tavern so customers would come in. In 2005, I was diagnosed with esophageal cancer. I endured a 12-hour surgery where I was open from chin to belly button oh, for 12 man. hours. They resectioned half of my stomach took out my esophagus, connected my remaining stomach to my throat. And honestly, that particular cancer only has an 8% survival rate. And that is because of the aggressive nature of esophageal cancer. Plus, most bodies are not able to be filleted for 12 hours. 
if I were not in great shape at the age of 53, I wouldn't have survived that. And then soul, mind, body, and soul. In soul, what I refer to is not being religious and going to church every Sunday. It's more making decisions that I, I've coined the phrase to my three children. There's never a wrong time to do the right thing. And if you live life by the golden rule, do unto others, and you can attach being in good frame of mind, having a strong body to do what you plan on doing with the right mental attitude, then I think a lot of your listeners will find that when that adversity comes, rather than saying, oh my gosh, I never saw this coming, they just say, you know, I knew it was coming. I just didn't know in what way it would come. And I'm going to sit down, strategize a way to get over this challenge and just not let failure be an option. Well, and that's it's well said because it's one of those, we've talked about it briefly before we started recording where, you know, adversity is just one of those catalysts to grow and trying to avoid it is, I don't think it's, it's wise because the lesson that you can learn through adversity is profound and they're just going to continue to come. Well, Ron, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for your time. What's the best way to buy the book? What are the best ways to learn more from you if listeners feel inclined to do so? Okay, well, the book is available in four formats on Amazon, hardcover, paperback, audio book, which by the way, I hired uh, Hollywood legend Michael Madsen to do my audio book. Many will know him from Reservoir Dogs and yeah. Kill Bill. Yeah. <laughs> Donnie Brasco. He's fame. a cool voice. He's like a New York kind of New York City. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. He's actually from Chicago, but okay. uh, he did a great job with my audiobook. And it's also available on ebook via Kindle. All four versions are on Amazon. And the book title is Tenacity. And my last name is spelled C O U R Y. And my website promoting the book is roncoreyauthor.com, where people can hit a link to get to the Amazon site and learn more about me and look at a gallery of over 100 photographs. Well, Ron, thank you again. This is an awesome conversation. Thank you for sharing you know, your experiences and sharing your book with us. And we'll make sure we post all of those links on the show notes. So for those that are in their car or listening where they can't write those links down, just go head over to thewellstandard.com and you can get all of those. Ron, thanks again. Really appreciate it. It was great to meet you. Well, Patrick, thank you as well. I've enjoyed talking to you. And if you ever get to Las Vegas, be sure to look me up. I certainly will. Okay, good day. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Standard Podcast. Be sure to visit the show's official website, thewealthstandard.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Guest opinions are their own. If you require specific investing, financial, legal, tax, or any other specialized advice, please consult an appropriate professional. We welcome and appreciate reviews of the show. Head on over to iTunes or Stitcher to leave your review. And don't forget to subscribe to the show to get access to every new episode and exclusive interviews this season. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time.